The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. There was a rabbi whose name was Rabbi Unger, and he was the person who ran the, the Chug Chatam Sofer. He ran this, uh, uh, the Kashrut and the organization uh, that was named after the great scholar Hatam Sofer out of Bnei Brak. There's two. There's one from Bnei Brak and there's one from Petach Tikva. But the one from Bnei Brak, that was uh, his, his organization and, his, uh, and his, uh, uh, his flock. And one day, a man comes to ask the rabbi a question. But the question is not a question of halakha that he needs to do today, tomorrow, this week, next, this year. Rather, he asks a question from the rabbi that took place 50 years before. He has a halakha question on something from 50 years ago. Rabbi is interested. He says, what do you mean? He says, let me tell you. He says, many years ago, I lived in a country called Hungary before I moved to Eretz Israel. And in a span of a very short amount of time, the Nazis marched into Hungary and they took over the entire country. The Jews of Hungary actually did not go through the war in the same way as other places. And uh, our, our history tells us and teaches us that the Jews of Hungary, when they arrived in, in Auschwitz, they had no clue what they were coming to. We have actually images of those Jews arriving in Auschwitz. They came in fur coats. They came with luggage. You know, some of them were tipping the, the Zunderkommando. They were tipping the people on the, on the platform for taking their luggage. They had no clue. So whereas other Jews were arriving from years or two years in the ghetto, Starving already, skeletons already here. It was a very different ball game, and it was uh, the the disaster of Hungarian Jewry was very very swift uh, from beginning to end for them. Unfortunately, he says, and that was my story. I found myself in the barracks. He says, with a very very holy Jew, a Jew whose parents were rabbis, whose grandparents were rabbis, whose great grandparents came from a long line, and while we were sitting there on the on the bed together you know, on the, on the barrack bed together. All the time I would hear him saying the prayers. He would be studying, you know, by heart, what he knew by heart. And he would be lifting my spirits all throughout the time that we were there. One day he turns to me and he says, you know, today, today, tonight, sorry, he said, today is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. Soon we have coming up the month of Pesach. He says, so we have vegetables. They give us rotten vegetables, bitter vegetables. We have some of that. He says, we could get our hands on some salty water. He says, but how in the world are we going to get matzot? He says, keep your eyes out. I know you, your job is, you, brings you to different parts of the camp. Keep your eyes out. Maybe you'll find a little bit of grain, a little bit of wheat that we could grind and we could make it to matzot. The guy promises his, his illustrious and his religious friend, he's going to do what he promised, what he asked him to do. Anyway, he keeps his eyes out. One morning, uh, a few days later, the Americans... Or someone had bombed, they sent to drop the bomb on, in, in, uh, in the camp in Auschwitz. And what did they blow up? They blew up the storehouses and they blew up the factories. It's unfortunately one of the big stains on American history is that they had the plans for the death camp. They did not consider blowing up the train tracks or the gas chambers. They did not consider that a priority initially. And instead, what did they blow up? They blew up the factories. Because that was where they were blowing up the munitions and that was where they were making their money to be able to support the war effort. But that's what they blew up. Anyway, what got blown up when they blew up this area? One of the things that was blown up, that was destroyed, was, a, was this, one of the storehouses. So in the devastation, in the, in the uh, explosion, the guy found a sack of wheat. 
He couldn't believe it. Now the problem is, even though he's got the wheat, how in the world is he going to get it back into the, into the camp, into the barracks? So he stole a few, little bit of the, you know, however much he stole of the flour or of the, of the uh, grain. He manages to, uh, to, you know, crush it up. He manages to get a piece of, of metal. He sticks it in the fire outside where he's working, where they're working these, uh, the, uh, the ovens that they were making, whatever they were doing. And he gets it red hot. He takes this little paste that he makes, and he makes two small matzot, each one the size of a hand. He needs to sneak it back into the camp. He decides the only place he can sneak it, he doesn't have obviously a bag or pockets. He takes these two tiny matzot, they were very thick, so they were, you know, there was more of a kazaid in a smaller surface area. He sticks it underneath his arm, underneath his shirt, and he holds his arm next to his body, and he walks, marches right in to the camp, uh, and they don't notice it. He gets all the way to near the barracks, and unfortunately, the person with the barracks sees that he's walking with one hand like this. He notices, he says, what are you hiding there, Jew? And he picks up his arm and out falls the two matzot. He gives this guy a beating like you can't believe. He punches him, he kicks him, he uses this, uh, the, the Nazi boots to his head, to his ribs. It's a disaster. And then the man says to the rabbi, he goes, but worse than the beating is I saw that as soon as he finished, he took his boot and he stomped all over the crackers, all over the matzot, breaking them into a million pieces, crushing them into the earth. He says, I rolled over like I was in pain, but I rolled over, he says, on top of the matzot. And I managed to pick up a bit of a handful of the crumbs, and without him noticing, I, you know, I held the crumb with my hand to my face. He didn't think, he didn't think I, would, I would do that. He thought it was, must have been from the beating. And I ran into the barracks. I ran into the barracks, I jumped on my bed, I collapsed on my bed, and I fainted. Then my friend, this religious man, this holy man, he ran and he got some water and he put it on my face. And he slowly tried to leave, help, pick me up and help me recover. He says, but you cannot imagine, he says, the joy that we felt when I opened up my hands and I showed him that I had in my hand the crumbs of the matzah, that I had managed to save uh, crumbs of the matzah. But the problem was that there was only enough for one kezayit. I fell asleep, I woke up. The next day already was going to be Pesach. And my friend came to me and he said, please. He says, you know how religious I am. You know I never missed a prayer in the, in the barrack, in the, in the camp. You know I never missed, I skipped any food that even had a, a, even a, a, a thought of being not kosher. You know, uh, what's it called? You know who I am, you know what I... He says, please, he says, I know that you, that you brought this matzah, that you made this matzah. He goes, please, please, I beg of you. I never missed the mitzvah of matzah in my life. Please, 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 he says, I'll give you whatever I want, whatever you want for this. So I t he says, I turned to my friend and I said, what do you have that I want? I don't, have, I don't have anything. He says, please, he says, I'll say all of the, I'll say the Haggadah slowly with you. You'll be able to repeat word for word. I'll take you through everything. I'll have all the kavanot. I'll pray the guy says, what? he goes, I, he goes, I could, I, he goes, I'll say whatever. He goes, but I, he, nothing the guy could say. He's begging, pleading. Finally, this young man says to his friend, he says, listen, let me eat the matzah. I'll say the, the Haggadah with more kavanah I've said in my life. He says, and I'll say all, I have all the intentions of the mitzvah like I never had in my life. And not only that, he said, and the reward for the mitzvah of the matzah, he said, it will be yours in Shammai. 
But please, he says, let me have the matzah. The guy says, I get the reward for it? He goes, yeah. He gives him the matzah. Together they say the Haggadah. Together they go through the, the entirety of the Manishtana. They say uh, the Ashlosha Devarim. You know, everything the guy says in the Haggadah. Rabbi Yehuda, Simanim. They do the Berah. You know, one, only one of them makes a Berachah. And the guy says, Amen. You can imagine. Finally, they said there's over. He stays up the whole night. They're talking together of uh, what's it called? Of Sipuy Yisiyam Misraim. And the very next morning, as they walked outside of the barracks, while he's still murmuring the tefillot of the morning, his friend is shot by a Nazi guard and he dies on the spot. The man says, "You know, fifty years have gone by since that day. I didn't." He goes, I managed to get out. I managed to survive. I managed to come to Israel. I managed to build a family. He goes, and he goes, and I never, nothing has ever changed my mind about that night. He says, but last night, for the first time in my life, he says, I dreamed of my friend. My friend came to me shining from Gan Eden, and he said, please, he says, I have a request from you. He says, okay, what's the request? He says, up in Shamayim, he says, I have everything. I have all the reward for all the mitzvah I ever did. All the learning, all the wonderful things. And Gan Eden is magnificent and it's beautiful. He says, but there's one mitzvah that I did on this earth that they're not rewarding me for. And I don't have it. And he says, and that's the mitzvah of matzah that you gave me. Please, he says, please, I beg of you, is there any way that you could find in your heart to give me back the reward for the mitzvah of matzah that I did that night. And he begs and he pleads. And in my dream I told him, no, this is mine. You begged me, you asked me, this was the deal we made. You have to live by the deal. If I would have that mitzvah, then I would have the reward. I gave the mitzvah, you have the reward. But you promised you would give it to me, that was the deal. He was dejected, he was depressed, he was upset, but he had to, and he disappeared. He says, and I woke up, and as you can imagine, he says, I haven't, I haven't been able to sleep since then. He says, I'm coming to you, Rabbi. Tell me, did I do the right thing or the wrong thing? What a question, huh? The Rabbi says, he says, this is a question that's not, a bit above my pay grade. <laughs> he says, for an answer for a question like this, he says, you need to go to a tremendous rabbi, a tremendous rebbe. He says, I'm going to send you to this rabbi. His name is the Machnovka Rebbe. He says, I want to send you to him. Ask him this question. He goes to the rabbi, and he sits down with the rabbi, and he tells him the whole story beginning to end. With all the emotion, with all the detail, with the dream. He says, what should I do? Did I do the right thing? And the rabbi turns to him and he says, listen, you know, you want to know what the right thing to do is? What the obligation? The obligation. She says you should have forgiven. You should have forgiven him. You should have given him the reward. The guy says, "What are you talking about?" He says, "If you want to tell me lifnim mishurat adin that I could go the extra mile, you want to tell me extra, 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 fine." He goes, "But to tell me that that's the right thing to do, I did the wrong thing. That's what you're going to tell me." The rabbi says, "Yes." He says, "What? Why?" He says, "Think of this man. Think of everything he's had." Every, all the mitzvot he's done. He's in Gan Eden. There's one mitzvah he doesn't have. The mitzvah of matzah. You could do the mitzvah seven times every year. 
And how many years since then, for 50 years, you've had the mitzvah? This guy was a young man, he dies. How many times did he get the mitzvah of Matzah his whole life? Five times, six times. You could do it for the rest of your life. And not only that, he says, you have children and you have grandchildren, each of them will get the mitzvah for the rest of their lives. And that's also on your merit. He says, you're going to begrudge him one kezayit of matzah? First of all, I remember when I read this story, I was like, wow. What a, what a shift in perspective. The guy says, okay, Rabbi, if that's what you say, I'll do it. I'm in. Okay. He goes, no. He goes, you don't give up your reward like that. You know, okay. All right, Rabbi, if that's what you say. He says, here are the keys. He says, what keys? He says, these are the keys to the shul, to the uh, Bet Knesset downstairs. Unlock, go into the Bet Knesset, turn on the lights, unlock the Aron Kodesh, stick your head inside with all the Sifret Torah, relive and tell the Ribbono Shel Olam the entire story the way you said it to me. Get yourself and relive the night the way it was at that moment. Get to the place of the Achilat Matzah. Be there on the barracks, in the camp, and when you're there and you're feeling it, he says, there, say, and on this mitzvah, I'm mochel, I forgive, I give up my claim, my hold on the sachar, and I return it to this young man, this kadosh, um, who died al-kidush Hashem the next morning, the morning after the seder. The guy goes down, he relives the whole experience. By the time he's finished, you can imagine, Hadaz like, they say in Hebrew, smartut. He's like a, a rag that you rinse out, you wring out everything from it. He's got nothing left. He doesn't even have, have enough strength to go upstairs to bring the keys back to the rabbi. He sees the gabai on the way out, he says, here's the keys, bring them upstairs. The gabai takes the keys, he brings them back to the rabbi's head that goes home. The next morning, he comes back to pray in this rabbi's minyan. The rabbi sees him, and he says, Rebbe, he says, I did it. I did it, I did what you said. I did the whole thing. Rabbi says, okay, beautiful. Hazaku Baruch, what a wonderful thing you did. What a special thing you did. The rabbi, so he, you know, the guy turns around to walk away. The rabbi says, come here. And he tells him the most beautiful thing ever. He says, I want you to learn a lesson. And in my opinion, maybe this lesson is worth even more than the Gan Eden that he gave up. He says, this young boy, all he did you told me was say Tehillim and pray and study in Auschwitz. All he thought of was mitzvot. All he attempted to do was give you chizuk. This is a guy who lived his life with Tushah Utara, who died al Kirush Hashem. He goes, we cannot begin to imagine what his portion in Olam Haba is like. The guy says, okay. He says, and I want you to realize that he left all of that to come down to earth, which our rabbis tell us is an incredibly painful experience for the Nishama, to leave, to come down to this place. He left all of it for what? With all the mitzvot he had, with all the portion God had that he had, to come back to beg on his hands and knees for the reward for one more mitzvah. Do you realize now, he says, how precious each and every single and solitary mitzvah is? How much it's worth? All he did was mitzvot. But he needed that one more. 
enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. StoriesToInspire.org.